0: Everyone, good morning to you. I hope you participate. I love this lady some of the time. <clears throat> Great to see you. Hey, your dad told a story about the grandkids are staying with them because their house took a hit during Harvey, and, and your son, how old is your son? Oh, the water heater. It was a really funny it, it, <laughs> thing, though. This is a lady who laughs at catastrophe. Yes, that's very good. Well, your son is how old? So the five-year-old said to Daniel's dad, John Costales, who's our class director in our early hour, said, Grandpa, um, did your son have to do... What you told him to do when he was a boy. He was talking about Daniel. I forget what the, the rest of what he said, but I was just laughing at that. He left. so can you tell my Okay, that, that was it. It was something like that. Something like that. That was great. Well, good to see you guys. So are you back in your house? Not yet. Two months? You're all staying over? That's why they have so many funny stories. Well, well yeah. <laughs> they're, they're Pretty they're soon they're going to turn to tears. Are you kidding <laughs> me? How would you like to live with that lady for two months? I'm exhausted in like three minutes here. <clears throat> Good to see everybody. So you got the Easter schedule figured out? No iConnect class next week? Uh, Wonderful services. The Sunrise Service is fast becoming one of our most popular. Many people come to the cross, 630. Freeman will be preaching. He's wonderful. He's taught our class. I knew Freeman when he was our student minister. Uh, One of my boys went through his ministry, and now he's the senior adult minister. Isn't that great? And he gets to preach because he's the newest member of our staff so he gets the early service we all smile you'll <clears throat> do great freeman <laughs> we'll see you when we wake up <clears throat> what else is new oh our pastor is preaching tonight at first baptist pasadena six thirty. if you're free i'll bet he would love to see members of his own family there that's uh our sending church or our mother church did you know that that ch- this was a church plant of First Baptist Pasadena so and we have maintained close ties to them over the years their pastor is uh, uh gone tonight and asked our pastor to come and give the message so that'll be good i'm wearing a jacket a sport jacket because they're a little more traditional than than we are you know and i need the points with brother john so <laughs> Like I'm putting on the jacket, I'm sitting in the front row, you know, smiling, doing this all kind of stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. And no, not the bow tie, brother Stan. The bow tie, I'm, I don't know, brother Stan. What kind of socks do you? You you wear a normal socks, you know? Oh, good, you're a real man because the latest thing is, have you seen brother Chuck's socks lately? I'm really concerned. They're unbelievable. They're so loud I can't hear him talk, which is okay. But that's like the new thing. These guys wearing these crazy socks. Brother Stan, I'm glad you're you're staying firm and you're not drifting. That's good. Now the bow tie. Do you tie that or is it did come? You don't tie that. It's a clip on. Let anyone else need to confess anything. Not you ladies don't tell us what you're wearing that isn't really you. We don't want to We don't want to know that. So here's my problem. This is the third hour. Third time we've been doing this and so you get a little giddy, a little crazy. You know what I mean? The medication wears off by this time and Yes ma'am. Yes. No, you always look wonderful. Ladies are always wonderful. It's guys like me. No. Yeah, I know you're efficient, but it's okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Just normal uh, church attire. I, I, I'm just doing it on purpose because I need the points. Yeah, you know. <clears throat> no, not the bow tie thing. I can't do the bow tie thing. That's that's it's crazy. Although. I actually have some. I have a bow tie with little stars of David on it. Brother Stan, I need to give that to you. Yeah, you'll never wear it, I know. You you wear it? That's like one of those gifts. You get a gift. You don't want it by no means, but someone gave it to you, so you have to sort of get it out or wear it at some point. So that's what this little Jewish star of David thing will will do. I see people coming over. Funny you don't look Jewish. I can see that. No, that's going to happen. But it's like a conversation starter. I can see that happening. Hey, the cruise, unbelievable. So they have food on the cruise. Did you know that? So I told my wife before we get on the boat. I said, let's just have an understanding. I am not saying no to anything. And I don't need you asking me, are you still hungry? <laughs> no, I'm not hungry. Hunger's got nothing to do with it. It is there. I paid for it. I'm eating it. And I can prove to you that I stuck to my guns. <clears throat> See the sideway view? That's why I'm standing behind this poo pit. Yes, Miss Sharon. Because of what I said? Where are you going? Why? Are you, are, do you have family there? So that's East Texas, Athens. What does it tell you about people who are leaving Houston to go to East Texas? They don't have bow ties there. So seriously, you're going there like permanently? Oh my goodness, we're gonna miss you guys. How long have you been here at Sagemont? Oh my goodness, we're gonna miss you guys. Wow. Oh, the grandkids are here. Okay, good. Come on a Sunday when Brother Chuck is not teaching. (laughs) Because it's a long drive, make it worth your while. Mike over there is leaving too. He's going to Missouri. That's Mike over, over here. Yeah, we're going to miss Mike as well. <laughs> Very true. Good, Mike. I know what you mean. Well, wonderful to see everybody. We're um, soon, we'll finish First Samuel. We're in chapter 27. Gail, now is, that's not... F- we're in Chapter 27 today, and there are are there 31 chapters, 31 chapters. So we'll finish it eventually, and we're not sure where we're going to go. We think a shorter New Testament book, just as a change of uh, pace for, for folks. You've been so very patient with us as we've gone through First Samuel, and so we'll we'll see what we're going to do. Now. Maybe Galatians. Do you know about Galatians? Well, that's a good book. A uh, little letter, we, we, we may do that. We used to put it to a vote. Do you remember that? We used to ask for your suggestions, and then we thought, we might as well come clean. We're not paying attention to what you people think. It's just what we want to do, Chuck and I, you know, power corrupts, and so we'll probably do Galatians, we'll see. But for today, First Samuel chapter 27, it's only 12 verses, but there's uh, a rich application in it. 1 Samuel 27, take a look. Then David said to... What does your Bible say? Yeah. Yeah, see, that's going to be a problem. Said to himself or, better yet, said to his heart. We're going to talk about it in a second. This is what he said. Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. If that's what you were thinking, what would you be feeling See if you can identify what David's emotional state of affairs is in light of this statement of impending doom that he says. He says, there's nothing better for me than to escape into the, listen, land of the Philistines. So based upon what he's thinking, what he's saying, what do you think he's feeling? Can you label it? Yes, ma'am. He's feeling depression. Absolutely, Rita. Anybody, any other thoughts If you can identify? Yes, ma'am. You know, he might just be a tad bit suicidal. Yeah, 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 yeah. What else? What do you think, Gil? Hopeless. Sure. Yes, ma'am. And despair. Absolutely. Well, you all got it. Please keep that in mind. We're going to talk about it. And so he says he's going to go to the land of the Philistines because Saul, his pursuer, will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I'll escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over, that is to say, from Israelite territory to the land of the Philistines. By the way, has he done this before? It really didn't work out very well, but here he goes again. So he and the 600 men were with him. Soon we'll see. It was their families as well. So if you were to guess, I'm thinking uh, it's probably over a 1,000 people, 600 men plus their families. And they went to a man named Achish. He is the son of Maoch. He's a king, king of Gath. He's a Philistine king. In the city known as Gath, which is one of the five major Philistine cities, you perhaps have heard about it because a famous personage hails from Gath. Do you remember what his name is? Goliath. And David is going back to that place. And David, verse 3, lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household. See, that's where I get the men are going with their families. Even David with his two wives, one of them is named Ahinohem. She's called a Jezreelites. That simply means she comes from an area in Israel known as Jezreel. Some of you have been to the Jezreel Valley. It's a big valley, and it's probably the site of what we know as Armageddon, Battle of Armageddon. She was a Jezreelitis and the other wife was named Abigail. She's a Carmelitis, meaning she comes from Carmel. It's a mountain range. It runs for a few miles along the Mediterranean coast, well-forested. The most important thing about it, you've heard of Mount Carmel, where Elijah did battle against the prophets of Baal. Anyway, she comes from that place. She happens to be Nabal's widow, we're told. Now, it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, and so he, uh, Saul, no longer searched for him. And then David said to Achish, if now I have found favor in your sight, uh, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country, that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So this is kind of a false humility. David is playing with the king uh, he wants some room to spread out in, David does, because he has a plan which you will see unfold, and he can't enact the plan under the nose of the Philistine king. So he says, I'm not worthy to live in the same royal city in which you live, O king. Just give me some country place. That's what he asked for. And so Achish gave him a place called Ziklag, Ziklag that day. Ziklag, uh, we think we know the location, um, Have you heard of a place called Gaza? It's in the news all the time. Uh, Gaza was also one of the ancient Philistine cities. Gaza is uh, on the southwestern coast of Israel, Mediterranean coast. If from Gaza you go east and south, you run into a place called Beersheba, Beersheba. Between the two is Ziklag. In other words, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's in wide open territory. There's like nothing going on over there. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. When Joshua led the Israelites on the conquest of the promised land, as you know, it was allotted to different tribes. Each tribe got part of the real estate. This was the part of the allotment given to Judah. But Judah never succeeded in taking it entirely, couldn't do it militarily. And now David, pretty much by deceit, gets a hold of this place called Ziklag. And David remained there for over a year, the poor guy. He's been on the run now from Saul for several years. He's the designated successor to Saul as king of Israel, but he's not living in a very royal way at all. He's not come into his own just yet. It's been really rough for him. And so he lives at this place, Ziklag, um, uh, for a little while. And then from Ziklag, here's a bonus question. When David leaves Ziklag and becomes anointed as the king of Israel, where did he go to from Ziklag? Anybody happen to know? That's a rough question. I, I asked, I ask it, the reason I ask it is because I had the benefit of finding it out before I asked it and then you'll be quite impressed with me, won't you? <laughs> yeah, it's Hebron. He goes to Hebron. He, uh, he, he is king of Israel for 40 years. He lives in Hebron. Some of us have been there. John, we went on the roof of a 2,000-year-old building. Uh, anyway, he, go, he went there. He, he was there for seven and a half years. And then he went from there to a place called Jebus, Named after the people who lived in that place, the Jebusites. And it became what famous city? Jerusalem. So he moved his government from Hebron to Jerusalem where he ruled for 33 years. And for now, we know how long he was at Ziklag. Look at verse 7. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was one year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gearzites and the Amalekites. For they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. All those people groups, do you know who they are? Under what umbrella people group they are all subsumed? Do you know who they are? Yeah, they're Canaanites these are all the Canaanites. So here's what David the Israelite is doing while in Philistine territory. He's doing God's work because God ordained that the Canaanites in the land be annihilated. Now, you and I have an ethical problem with that, I suppose. How could the God who is gracious and loving call for the uh, murder of man, woman, and child amongst all the Canaanites? And that, in fact, is what he did. You can read this and. In the Bible, God explained himself, he said, lest the contagious effect of their spiritual corruption and idolatry affect you, Israel. God, being gracious, chose a people group from whom Messiah would come, and he wanted to make sure the Messiah would come through uh, that people group in a good, pure, and undefiled way. Uh, So people are always throwing up this criticism at God. He's mean and vicious in the Old Testament. Look at what he's done. Well, much could be said about that on another occasion. Let me just make a general statement. Who do those people think they are? The audacity of the creature calling into question anything about the creator. If the creator was a cruel, dictatorial, autocratic monster, the creature wouldn't have a thing to say about even that. We are not recognizing our place If we traced our beginning to one who is the first cause of all things, namely God, he has a right to be whoever he wants to, but we think we're on an equal footing and we could evaluate him. No, no, he's evaluating us. And by the way, we're coming up short. Furthermore, this God who takes so many hits and is so criticized by those who don't know him and understand him. I'll tell you how he proved his loving character to us. He didn't withhold his only begotten son. I want to know who you'd give your child or grandchild up for. He gave his only begotten beloved son, one of a kind, Jesus. For one such as you and I, we're ugly people spiritually. He uh, loved us so much that he sent his son to die for the unlovely. Now, if he gave the greater and that takes care of all of the lesser questions I cannot fully answer. I do not doubt the character and compassion of God. If he gave me the best of what he had, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So the audacity of the creature to call into question the character of God, when in fact the creature won't cross the street to do anything to help somebody else out. And God took on flesh to be impaled on an old rugged cross for folks like you and me. No, I'm not questioning the motive of God, the heart of God, and the loving character of God. So God said, take care of the Canaanites. Otherwise, you Israelites will take on their idols, and you'll be defiled just like them, and it'll corrupt the messianic line. No Messiah, no Savior, no salvation. Where would you and I be? So anyway, uh, David, even when he's uh, now relying on his stratagem and wit and wisdom still remembers this is what God ordained him to do. And even though he's not housed in the king's palace, he's acting like the king. And so he's gone after Israel's enemies right here, the Canaanites. So here's what happened. Verse 9, David attacked the land and he didn't leave a man or a woman alive. And he took away the sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothing. And he returned and came to Achish. You know what I think he did? I think he kept all that stuff and he offered it as plunder to the king, the Philistine king. That's a good way to appease him, you know. David keeps bringing him booty. Then maybe the king will say, well, we'll let this Jewish guy hang out here a little bit. He keeps delivering the goods. I think that was probably behind it. Now, Achish said, verse 10, where have you made a raid today? And David said... Look what David said. Against the Negev. Negev is the southern desert in Israel. He said, I made a raid against the Negev of Judah. Whoa. And against the Negev of the Jeremiahes, and against the Negev of the Kenites. You know who those are? Jews. <laughs> you know what David did there in verse 10? He lied. That's what he did. That's what he done did. That's a bald faced lie, Nothing bad. I can't get him off the hook, folks. He lied. He told the king, oh, what raid? What raid? Oh, against those Jews, you know. You hate them, I hate them too. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And, uh, and the king liked this stuff. I'll tell you why. You know the expression? The, uh, the enemy of my enemies is my friend. So the Philistine king wants to eradicate the Jews. Here, if you get this Jewish guy who's helping you do it, he's suddenly his friend. And here's what David did, verse 11. He didn't leave a man or a woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise, they will tell about us, saying, so has David done, and so has been his practice all the time. He's lived in the country of the Philistines. He killed everyone. He left no witnesses alive. All you got to do is have one surviving Canaanite makes his way back to Gath and tells the king, David's lying to you. He's not going against his own people. Are you kidding me? He's wiping out the enemies of the Israelites. So David lied. And what happened is this. I mean, it worked. Verse 12, Achish believed David, saying, he has surely made himself odious among his people Israel. Therefore, he'll become my servant forever. So there you have it. So I read this and I say, what's up with David? I mean, in the prior chapters, he's like a hero. He has a chance two times to take matters into his own hand and kill Saul. Remember the time, the interesting incident in the cave at En Gedi? Remember all that? And David doesn't take matters into his own hand. It was another episode where he had a chance to deal with Saul. But he restrained his natural inclination for vengeance, which was remarkable. I mean, he killed a giant named Goliath, but to win victory over the bigger giant, Revenge, was great you know we lauded him we, we 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 say wow he's he's a hero i don't get it what's what's up last week chuck taught us in the prior chapter that uh, david was doing pretty good he was entrusting himself to god in first uh, in fact when it came to his fate and destiny with regarding saul david said in verse 10 uh he said the lord will strike him Saul, the Lord will take care of him or he'll die. God will deal with him or else he'll die of natural causes, David said. He said, or he'll go down into battle and perish. He knew Saul will meet his end. He'll perish in due season according to the sovereignty of God. But now all of a sudden, in verse 1 of this chapter, he's saying, I will perish by the hand of Saul. To what do you attribute the spiritual drift? In fact, in 12 verses that we just read, You don't see any mention of God at all. He's absent from the text, and he's absent from David's thinking. In fact, let me tell you about David's thinking. Look back at verse 1. One phrase explains to me what happened with David. It's this, then David said to himself, or uh, some of you have this more literal translation, then David said to his heart. Now, you see the word heart in Hebrew? Uh, That's almost never a reference to this organ that pumps blood. It's it's your head. (laughs) It's mind. Mind is a better way to look at it. Then David said to his mind. In other words, David uh, allowed thoughts to occupy space between his ears, and it went unchallenged. He took counsel from no one. He forgot the promises of God. He left God out of the mix. And so he was, uh, he was now mastered by his own thinking. And you identified what his thinking did. His thinking, uh, fatalistic thinking, uh, evoked, or led to emotions. You identified it. Anxiety and fear and worry and despondency and despair and depression, so on. By the way, that's the way it works, not just for David but for us. Thoughts always precede emotions. Did you know that? Emotions just don't happen out of the blue. Thoughts always pre- precede emotions. So good thoughts lead to good emotions. Bad thoughts lead to negative emotions. Not only that, emotions then lead to actions. So David's thinking, I'm going down, Saul, I'm going to die at the hand of Saul. That's his thinking. I'm left. Alone, I'm abandoned, there's nobody here, I gotta take care of myself. He's thinking about all that's his thoughts. Feelings, despondency, despair, depression. That's that's what he's feeling. And what's he doing? I'm going to the Philistines. That's the way it works. Thoughts precede emotions, which precede behaviors. That's the way it is with human nature. Hang on to that for a second because we're gonna we're gonna camp out there and develop that theme just a little bit. So in essence, David is David is, is now subject to his own, Mary used the phrase earlier, stinking thinking. That's, that's what he's doing here. He said to himself, he spoke to his heart, he, he supplied his mind with thoughts, but they weren't, they weren't true. Isn't that interesting? That you can be thinking about thoughts, and even if the thoughts are not true, they still affect you. Emotionally and behaviorally, as they did David. So... My suggestion for you and for me is we should make sure we're telling our head, telling our heart what's true. We should we should speak truth to our mind. Otherwise, lies will affect our feelings and our behaviors. So I want to offer you a formula for success. I don't really mean it. Uh, success <laughs> is clinging to the Lord Jesus, but a formula of sorts. Three phases to it, three parts. They all start with the letter R. R. Here's the first one. Recognize. That's the first R. Recognize what you're thinking. Then, what does that mean? Well, um, we don't usually think about what we're thinking about. We are lazy thinkers. Uh, so, if someone said to you, what are you feeling? You're probably more likely to be in touch with what you're feeling than with what you're thinking. Which is why when you go to see a counselor, the counselor will say, how do you feel about this or that or the other thing? Because you can more readily spit it out. I feel depressed. I feel anxious. I feel in despair. You can say that. So we gravitate towards feelings more than towards thoughts because thinking requires more energy than just feeling. We don't really know what we're thinking. We just see the effect of what we're thinking. They're called emotions. And so the R recognizes is an invitation to stop. When you're feeling something uncomfortable, stop and ask yourself, what are you thinking? (laughs) Because what you're feeling didn't just come out of the blue. What you're feeling emanates from what you're thinking. So ask yourself what you're thinking. Recognize what you're thinking. That's the first R. Second, reject what you're thinking That is not consistent with what God thinks. First is to recognize what you're thinking. Second, put it under a microscope. Is what you're thinking consistent with what God is thinking? If not, you've got to reject it. You have to just say, that's just a lie. That's just not true. I'm just not going to let it get... I'm not going to let it move into my head. Because when it does, it really could become a pattern. It could be a habitual way of thinking that caused me to habitually be Depressed. And habitually act out. So, first of all, recognize what you're thinking. Second, reject what you're thinking if it's not what God's thinking. And then third are, replace what you're thinking with what God thinks. Recognize, reject, replace. Why do you have to replace? Well, because the mind is always active. Did you know that? The mind never sleeps. So, when your body is sleeping, your mind is still going. In some cases, it's racing. We can talk about this maybe one day. How to slow down the mind so you can get to sleep at night? I mean, we go a thousand miles an hour during the day, and then we decide at ten o'clock, my body's tired, I'm going to sleep, and your mind says, "Well, too bad, Buster. <laughs> you know, I've, I I got a lot of energy. You 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 just you just worked me to death today. You think you can just turn me on, turn me off? That just that's the way it works. And this electronic day, nobody's sleeping because you're on a computer ten minutes before you go to bed. But that's not happened. All that electronic stuff so stimulates the brain. You're, you're just physically tired, but in, your brain won't shut you down. That's why you have interrupted sleep patterns. And you, I tell people, you've got to prepare for sleep in the morning. By the way, some of you seem to be doing that <laughs> at present. You're getting a good start. Good. Way to go. I mean, you've got to start your pacing in the morning. You've got to start your pacing. You can't be doing this stuff and expect to be able to settle down at night. And then a couple hours before you go to bed. No phone, no text, no computers, no nothing. In fact, I advise no TV. Reading is a totally different activity. Reading is going to slow you down. Yes, sir. Oh, let's hear. Oh. Oh. Beautiful. Thank you. We take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians ten five. Now, you may think, what's with that guy? He's getting psychological on us. No, Bible. Listen, as a man thinks in his heart. I didn't say that. Um, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by. I didn't write that. Then our brother's passage right there. The mind, I'm telling you, folks, that's where the battle is. And so David lost it in chapter 27. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes. Well, don't worry. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Wonderful passage. Passes understanding. Great passage. No, it's exactly like what I'm saying. I'm reading the same book here. I'm not making this up. No, no, but I mean that's even why we're just talking about that this week. Sometimes thoughts came in our archives, what is our water And you're just like, how's this going to work out? How you going to and then it was like we don't know. Yeah. So just give it to the Lord. And then immediately it's like Psyche and why something I got. It's a great passage. And you uh Natalie, you're right on target there. And, and so this last step replace the reason why you have to do it is as the mind is always going it's not a vacuum it's going to land on something so you want to supply it with truth and you shall know the truth and the truth shall yeah so you want to supply now i'm not talking about this crazy movement out there the positive confession think things into existence and you'll ha- i'm not talking about that i'm just saying think on truth and when you think on truth it gives rise to different emotions and different behaviors, and truth is God's truth. Okay, so recognize, reject, replace. David did not do that. Now, to enhance this point, because it's a little complicated, I would like to uh, call your attention to one verse of Scripture outside of First Samuel. It's in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. 4.23, we'll finish with this verse, but I want to stay with it a little bit. I think it has the potential to be helpful. Proverbs 4, verse 23. As you turn there, uh, I will remind you Solomon wrote it, and he is wise. Remember, he, he asked for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. So Solomon kind of learned some stuff about how to live well. And uh, we'll see it here. Proverbs four twenty three. Here's how it starts. Watch over. That means it's a mandate. It's a commandment. Watch over. It means to guard. We are being commanded, in the first two words, we are being commanded to guard something. What? There you go. Watch over your heart. Now, remember, I told you, heart really means mind. So we could say, watch over your thoughts. Watch over your mind. Now, how are we supposed to do that? It says, watch over your mind, your thoughts, with all diligence. Literally, in Hebrew, it means guard your Mind above all else you may be guarding. That's a priority right there. So we guard those things we value. That's why we post guards inside banks, but not at our garbage can. (laughs) We guard what we value. Now, if God is commanding us here to guard above all else our minds, can you see the value he's placing on what's going on? what's happening between our ears. So we're not wrong to guard other things, our riches, our property, our loved ones, but God says the guarding of our minds is to take precedence over all else. Why? For from it, do you have that? For from it, singular, for for from it flow these springs, plural. From one source, it, the mind, flow Many springs. Springs of what? Of life. All that which pertains to life flows from your mind. That's what it says. One-stop shopping center. From it, the one source, your mind, flow all the springs of life. I'm not making this up. It says it right there. Now, what does this mean, springs of life? It's a metaphor. Um, let Let me see if I can illustrate the illustration. Imagine a remote beautiful small isolated village in the mountains somewhere its number one source of clean water is a spring fed lake that's it spring fed lake humans and animals depend on it for uh, cleaning for uh, irrigation of the crops uh, for, for 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 cooking That's it, one source of water. Because that life-sustaining source of water is all they have. You can imagine that the folks would guard it with everything they had to make sure it didn't become corrupted and polluted. They would do everything in their power to protect it from that sort of thing. Well, uh, the writer here, Solomon, is essentially uh, saying, based on that sort of metaphor, he's saying that our minds are just as singularly valuable as that one life-sustaining source of water in that remote village. He's telling us the mind and its thoughts are the critical center from which flow the very springs of life. From it flow emotions and actions. So to prove this to you, let's do an exercise. I'm going to make a statement. I simply want you to think about it. Here it is. I don't fit in here. I am just different from the rest. I just want you to chew on that one. I don't fit in here. I'm just different from the rest. Stay with that for a little bit. Okay. If that thought were to take root in your mind, what emotions would be generated by it? How would it make you feel? Someone said, loneliness Loneliness, for sure. What else? Sadness. Negative. Very much so. And anger. It would be kind of a self-esteem, self-worth you would isn't that interesting, you can feel isolated in a crowd. Yeah. yeah. You would feel my needs are not being absolute. Yeah. 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 Correct. It can go in different ways. But okay, but you get the point. A thought can generate feelings. Okay, now I want to give you another thought. It's this one. God has the final word on my worth and value. He says he loves me. He says I belong to him irreversibly. He says I will never let you go. I'd like you to feast on that thought for a little bit. I'll repeat it. God has the final word on my worth and value. He says he loves me. He says I belong to him. And he says I will never let you go. Can you stay with that thought just for a few seconds? Okay. What emotions might be generated by that one? patience, empowerment, somebody said, comfort, assurance, peace, security. Now, folks, can you see the power of thinking? Whether it's right or wrong, it's going to drive emotions. Let me make it a step further. Go back to the first scenario, the thought being, I don't fit in, I am different, you identify the emotions associated with that thinking. Can you think of certain behaviors that might be manifested by that person who thought that? What might that person do? Seclusion or isolation. That person may cease to come. When I'm not coming to that room anymore, if I feel so out of place, I just won't come. A lot of people, by the way, who don't come to church make it a theological matter. They say, I don't need to go to church. I can worship God and, you know, at home. It's not theological. It's emotional. They're uncomfortable with the community of believers. So one behavior is just to isolate. What else? If you thought I'm different, I don't fit in. What else? Say it again. Well, I guess you can conform. You could just forget about your unique. God-given personality just try to be like everybody else. Well, that's a good one, Daniel. That's good. Yes, ma'am. You can become the Austin Bomber. You could kill yourself. Yes. That's a good way to look at it. it. Could it could go the other way around? That's right. By the way, what'd you say? Anger and jealousy. That for sure. Anger and jealousy. Absolutely, absolutely. Well said, uh, folks. Um, the precursor to all everyone who commits suicide is depression. So if one's thinking is not accurate and it leads to the emotion of depression, that oftentimes is the precursor to suicide. Now, not everyone who's depressed commits suicide, but everyone who commits suicide is depressed, you see. So can you see how thinking is so vital? Proverbs 4.23 is so very, very important. David, David's thinking was unchecked. It was uninformed by the very presence of God and by his promises and by his word. I'm not ridiculing or criticizing David. David's in there because David's us. He's human just like you and I. We ought to see the importance of making sure we're supplying our mind with God's truth. So, um, another way to look at this is to say that the quality of our life is really dependent on the quality of our thinking. Therefore, our thought life is to be guarded above all else. So, your thoughts will control your life, and therefore, unless you learn how to control your thoughts, you'll never be in control of your life. But usually, we don't even know what we're thinking. We just know what we're feeling. So what does it mean, again, to watch over your mind? It's not tricky. It means the same thing as watching over or guarding your home. When you guard your home, you do so to keep some things in and some things or people out. That's what it means to guard your thoughts. You keep some thoughts in and you bar the door. To other thoughts, it means means that. So you may have had one or more of these thoughts from time to time. I'm worthless. I am despised. I'm hopeless. I'm different. I'm alone. I'm (coughs) useless. I'll never amount to anything. I'm unlovable. You may have had, no, not may have. You have had these thoughts. From time to time, that's the way it is. So now you're entitled to those thoughts. (coughs) And you may even have some basis for thinking those thoughts. For instance, if you grew up and you're a victim of abuse, abandonment, or neglect, you have these thoughts. At the hands of significant others who you should have been able to trust, you couldn't. And you have internalized the abuse, the abandonment, or the neglect it's not them, it's you. They did this to you because you are worthless. You are junk. So there may be a, a basis for your, for your thinking, except what I'm after here is not what other people think of you or what messages others have given you. I'm after what, what, what is God's message to you. He's not the abuser, the uh, abandoner, the one who neglected you. He's the father who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You know what he said? You know, when you get to feel not just guilty, you feel ashamed of who you are. You know, he says stuff like, uh, uh, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, you know, you're starting to feel it's worse than guilt. Guilt is not a bad thing. Guilt is usually over something you did wrong. Well, stop doing it. and You won't feel guilty. But shame, shame is not about what you do. Shame is about who you is. So you start feeling that. And all you got to do is say, wait just a second. I see what I'm thinking. I know what it, how it's making me feel depressed. I'm going to reject that thought. That's not God's thought. Here's God's thought. Um, um, no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, I have cast all your sins behind my back. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I call you my beloved. Those things. It's not possible to have the same emotional experience thinking those thoughts as you did with the other thoughts. It's just not possible. So, uh, yes, ma'am. When I get there, those, those low points, yes. I Yeah. And one of the very first verses that they that they teach is Jeremiah 179. And I remind myself of this. And Jeremiah 179 says the heart is to sequel above all things and just what you think. You can know it. And then the very next verse says, But the Lord searches my heart. Yeah. And so when I'm at that point, that love point where I'm thinking all these awful things about myself. Yeah. Yes. Good. You're doing good. Great passage of Scripture to call on. Very good. Folks, listen. What our sister says she does and others, looks like it takes work. And it does. But the last time I checked it out, so too does going to the gym. Uh, I happen to know this. It takes so much work, I haven't done it in quite some time. But we do it. Now, and uh, you, if you think about why people go to the gym, uh, it, it, there's no way it's fun when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because if w- you, you're doing the exercises right, it's not supposed to feel good. In fact, you're supposed to sweat. One time I was there at the YMCA. I'm, I'm on the treadmill kind of a thing, and one of the helpful assistants there says, you, you need to pick up the pace. You're not even sweating. But like saying, sweat this lady. <laughs> I need someone and get this treatment at home. I'm here. And, and I. But you're supposed to sweat. It's not supposed to feel good. That kind of, but why do people do Why do they put themselves through it? Well, it takes discipline and all the rest. And you do it because of the, 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 the product of it all. You go through a difficult process requiring discipline because it provides a good product. You know, you feel better, you sleep better, and you look better, and all this kind of stuff. Well, this is the same kind of a deal. It's just not in the physical well-being area. It's in the emotional well-being area. It takes discipline. But uh, uh, as a word of encouragement, God who gave the mandate in Proverbs 4.23 is the God who gives the enablement to do it. God doesn't command us to do stuff he knows we can't do. When he said, watch over your heart with all diligence, he, he, know, he knows it's doable. It takes work to do it, but it's I challenge you to do it. Uh, folks, again, uh, thoughts, good or bad, lead to emotions, good or bad, which leads to behaviors, good or bad. So today, a lot of people are trying to change their behaviors and, and they're trying to stop feeling what they're feeling. Well, I think your focus is all wrong. You forget about what you're doing and you forget about what you're feeling and you start focusing on what you're thinking because from it flow the springs of life. You want to get to the source, don't you? That's why you can change you know someone's behavior but then they relapse and do something else we call it symptom substitution why because we didn't get to the root cause of the disease it's what you're thinking so in the bible we heard some an array of passages which show what an emphasis god puts on this particular uh a topic you know one time david i can't remember the reference he prayed he said god search me and Know me, try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. Didn't he pray that? Yeah, he did that. So um, so let's get to the work of thinking about what we're thinking and making sure it's based on God's word. And if it's not, reject it and replace it with, with truth. Now, one closing, well, uh, two closing things. One, state, this statement um, if you're interested in more about this, years ago I did a series called uh, The Matter of the Mind. I did it on Wednesday night. I, don't, I think it was six or seven sessions. I don't remember. Anyway, you, could get, you can get it for free in the library or for uh, purchase in the bookstore. But I think it might even be on our website. I don't know. By the way. Some time ago, a guy here said to me, Stuart, how much money do you make from the selling of your tapes in the bookstore? <sighs> we don't make money from the selling of our tapes, and I'll tell you why. It belongs to Sagemont Church. It's called intellectual property. It's, the intell- it's a legal term. It's the intellectual property of this church. Why? You pay us. The staff, you pass the salary, and by the way, you take care of the staff here. The staff of Sagemont Church is well provided for. If we manage what you give us well, we're, we're fine. And if we don't, that's not your fault. That's our fault. But, but because of the, of the income you provide for us, <laughs> we can't turn around and sell tapes back to you. That would be called unethical. Unethical. And also, kind of profitable. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, it's sold in the bookstore, but where does the money go? H- how is our bookstore supported? From the sales of the materials there. There's a bookstore manager and all the rest. And, and if they have an overage, you know where it goes? Missions. It doesn't go to individual staff members here. I, w- I will tell you this. This is an offshoot. Your church handles money really well. We're careful. Every penny's is... Now, we could slip and slide, so please watch us. But we can be audited at a moment's notice. We don't have a thing too high. Every penny is accounted for. In fact, it drives you nuts sometimes, you know. You, but I'd, I'd rather have pressure put upon me to hand in the right paperwork than start getting sloppy with church money. So anyway... Uh, Okay, that's another thing. But anyway, if you, <laughs> if you want to get that series, it's available somehow. Then one concluding, concluding statement. Resist hero worship. Before I got to chapter 27, I had kind of a response to David, sort of a hero. And I got kind of discouraged as, uh, about him as I read chapter 27. Come on, David. What's up with all this? But then I realized it's my problem I should respect David, but not worship him. Watch out for hero worship. Sooner or later, the the greatest man or woman is going to let you down. In fact, somebody once said, the best of men is but a man at best. So be careful. You may have people here in the church you hold in high esteem from our pastor on down. Spend about 30 minutes with them, and you'll probably have a different perspective. We're all human, be careful. It wasn't King David who was to be worshipped. It was the King of King David who's to there's only one perfect one, the Lord Jesus, and that's why, in spite of your feelings about being here and maybe the discomfort about being in a group and feeling like the odd man or woman out, still you dragged yourself here because you want to worship the lord jesus because he's worthy of it you may not like the preacher who's on duty on a particular day and you may not like the music too low too soft to this to that and still you come anyway because jesus is worth it you don't worship the preacher the teacher the deacon the usher the this the that the building it's none of that it's that you want people to know whose side you're on on sunday mornings you Drag yourself out of bed, even though you're not feeling so good emotionally, and you come. It's an offering you give to the king of kings because he's worthy of it all. And though David has disappointed us to some extent, uh, well, he has. He's became a liar, an adulterer, kind of a murderer, and all the rest still. Uh, The Lord Jesus has never let anyone down. He doesn't disappoint. He exploits no one. There's no hidden agenda. There's nothing we'll discover about him that discourages us. We will discover things about him that will cause us even more to want to be his worshiper. And it'll take eternity to get all that out of our system. And by the way, that's what we're going to get. So be careful about hero worship. There's only one of heroic proportions, and that's the one who suffered and died on the cross and then I guess I lied. I do have one further statement. This David is called a man after God's own heart. How in the world does that happen? I think it's this. Remember, uh, uh, after God's own mind. David is a man after God's own mind, meaning he understood that uh, God had on his mind uh, the capacity to forgive sin. David knew that God's... Merciful intentions, his gracious thoughts towards him surpassed his sinful inclinations. And that's why God said, you're a man after my own mind. Uh, uh, God does not have a problem with our sin. Sin is not the problem. It's when we think there is no solution to our sin, but there is. It's the merciful, gracious, forgiving pardon of almighty God, contingent on acceptance of the sacrifice of the shed blood of his only begotten son. When you accept grace that is greater than your sin, you too, in spite of what you've done, are a man or a woman after God's own heart. So David had a rough chapter, verse 27, and regardless of the chapters in our life where we may kind of tube out a little bit, Do not give up because our Father has never let go of us. He never will leave us nor forsake us. And the Bible says one day, I love this, he will bring us forth holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. See, that's a thought I stick in there when I feel what a wretch I am. I'm going nowhere. One step forward, two steps back, and then I remember, oh, no. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus one day he'll present us before him holy blameless and beyond reproach those are good thoughts to put in there when you're rejecting thoughts of hopelessness and all that takes some work to do that it takes maybe some scripture memory or at least familiarity with the bible in order to be able to replace erroneous thinking with truth as a man okay I know it's time to go <laughs> I got you covered Okay. Okay, fine. Let's pray. (laughs) Thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, the Bible. Thank you for the honest record of humanity. We're not the odd man out, the odd woman out. We belong to the human race. We're just like David, ups, downs, but there's the rock, the steady rock, the Lord Jesus, who... Inaugurated our redemption and will complete it. Thank you for buying us. Therefore you own us. And therefore you have an interest in us. Thank you for shaping us up and making us to be more like you. Thank you for the future, eternity, in which sin won't even reign in our members anymore. Help us, O oh God, to fill our thoughts with truth so as to experience love and joy and peace those things which are the fruit of the Spirit, and so as to avoid misbehaviors based upon negative emotions. Thy word is truth, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. We yearn for it. We look for it. We thank you that the experience can be ours by your grace. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks, and these ladies want something.